my articles, if you've downloaded the, uh, actually, all you got to do is download the PowerPoint. There are so many of these KPIs I talk about in there, like 50 or 60 of them. So if a person's looking, what can we actually do to do the stuff that we need to do to create this thing called emotional cement? Uh, there are plenty of tactics for doing that. So it's great fun. But anyway, Andrew, I hope all's well with you. I mean, I, every time when I see you, I just, I have good, good memories. What can I say? <laughs> Greg, I just had a couple of apologies. Oh, sorry, uh, I'm, I'm all going very well, Greg. You're, you're what's that now? You retired last training as well? Well, it's interesting. As my wife said, I retired from a full-time job to another full-time job uh, until the virus struck. You know, I was doing my 200,000 miles a year with United. I mean, uh, life has been busy, uh, but uh, now it's different. So the plus now, and the thing that keeps me excited is, is uh, we do a lot of Zoom stuff at the Beach Club. And a lot of my friends, we do Zoom cocktail parties and all sorts of things. But I'm reading more than ever. I'm writing more than ever. So I, I still feel good. As a matter of fact, the article I just finished and is going to be published in Club Management over here, the magazine, has to do with why should retired managers go to the annual conference, you know, the world conference that we have, and you got to keep the buzz on. So uh, I'd like to say I haven't lost that yet, Andrew, but my wife suggests I have. <laughs> That's a different conversation. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. We better not, let's not go there. I was about to hey, Mike, say Mike, you want to take over, Mike? Yeah, yeah, I'll just, yeah, I was just going to mention to Greg, th thanks for, uh, for pausing him there. <laughs> now, Greg, I've had, a, I've had a couple of apologies from, uh, from um, Faiza said she can't make it, but um, pass on the regards and Cody Matthew from, uh, from Parkwood. So I'll give it just a minute or so before we get officially started. It looks like we're just a couple people short from who's registered. Um, so we can probably do an, a quick hello to somebody else there, Greg, if you want. Oh, no, it's just, it, 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 it's funny. see who else I know. There's other ones. There's, uh, well, the, you got Michael else. and Ian and Joseph and Tim, and they're all on uh, mute, and I don't see their faces. There's something about John I prefer to see faces, right? You know, yeah. uh, I like, you know, Except the hats and the thing. <laughs> but, you know, that's one of the things that uh, you're just talking about, the format. I've done a number of these in the States and, and, and elsewhere, and I find that a lot of the webinars that I've listened to and watched, they'll have a big big thing about the PowerPoint and a very small person. And I'd like to say what you really want is to see people. And so for me, the Zoom format works great because I get everybody's face in front of me. And it's almost like uh, you were, uh, were together in a room or whatever. It's as yeah. close as you can get online. So I like that. Yeah, great. Well, I'll, I'll get underway because it looks like we've got probably close to what we'll have. A few are popping in, popping in late, but uh, that was a good warm up. Thanks, everyone. And uh, just, uh, just to let everybody know, it is being recorded. So be careful what you say, <laughs> Greg. No. <laughs> I've, uh, got a, hey. <laughs> I've got to put all my disclaimers in uh, beforehand yeah. so I don't get in trouble. But we're recording it so we can share it with the rest, rest of the, uh, the industry that wants, wants to pick it up later on in time. Uh, but thanks, everyone, to uh, our second episode of GIC TV. Um, that was great. I really had a, a great time and some great feedback from, from the, the last session we had with Jeff London. Uh, it's something we're, we're, we're working on uh, moving forward, just getting as, as much interesting content as we, we possibly can. Um, we, it's sort of a cliche, I guess, you know, that we're all in this together. Um, Golf Industry Central from 12, 13 years ago, when we first conceptualized it, was always about the industry working together, hence the name. Um, and I like having our, our, our partners, such as EPAR, supporting something that's not in their, you know, necessarily their, their topic of you know, environmental health and safety, but 
uh, still has to do with club and or having a, another partner supporting a, a different area or a different discipline of our, our industry, no matter where we are, because we, we are trying to work and, and learn, uh, learn as we go. Um, I've, I've always liked the ideas of um, or finding uh, content and ideas and being able to share it. And that was one of my early lessons uh, from my career. It's just been able to find stuff and be able to share it and not not be possessive about it. But let's let's help each other out and we all grow and we all get supported uh, stronger as as an industry. Um, with today's uh, discussion, as, as Greg was just mentioning, it you know it's very it's going to be very interactive. I, I'm going to try to get in what I can right now because um, I know I'm going to have to uh, <laughs> off here and there just to to get a, another word in. But if there is any questions, because uh, everybody will be on mute to start with. Um, just just in the chat box to the side if you could just put Q or something or you, know, you have a question or type the question in um, I'll follow that and I'll I'll, um, I'll pop in with Greg and, and we can uh, we, we can answer those as we go um, I did load up and email today his um, his six different uh, white papers uh, that he'll be sort of focusing from a, a topical standpoint uh, today um, as we go through so you can reference that uh, and it'll be recorded, like I said, so we'll um, we'll have this for, for sharing with your other other staff members. Uh, Terry Muir is on from from EPAR, so thank, thanks again, Terry, for your, your support with the industry and everything that we're we're dealing with from uh, from from your side of the business. Um, and we'll have uh, our uh, GIC TV next week with with Terry and Nathan and um, and Daniel Baidup from Golf Business Australia to talk about the the risk side and what what we're going to have to deal with when it comes to to COVID nineteen. Um, with that, that's it, Greg. I'm going to hand it over to you, and I'm going to go have a mai tai, and we'll come back in a few minutes. Or, well, now uh, I don't know how many people. I don't, now, first of all, uh, if you want to unmute everybody, as long as you don't have a lot of background noise, I yeah. prefer it unmuted, because that way we can have an interchange without having to go through the whole process. So, uh, if we can do that, Mike, I'd prefer it unmuted. Yeah, yeah, I, I th yeah. The only worry is with that background noise, but yeah. uh, if you're happy for that, we'll we'll deal with that. Let's give it a try. First of all, there, there are three things that we're talking about today, and it's really captured in the title that we have. When we talk about social KPIs, now, these are key performance indicators that create the emotional relationship between people. You can measure those, and I'd like to say that most people measure financial KPIs, but they don't measure social ones. So we're going to be talking about that today. If I were to come in and audit your club, and again, I don't audit finances, what my job is to audit the social side of the experience, because it's a completely different approach. But the next thing is the pursuit of club. Now, club, I capitalize club because club is not clubhouse. And a lot of times when you talk to people, uh, I, I visit a lot of clubs, and they love to tell me how much money they spent on this and that. It just doesn't mean anything to me. Club has to do with what sort of relationships exist in that club and how tight is that community of members. And the last thing is the post-virus world. We're all going to be coming out of this. We have a tremendous opportunity now to really weld people to our club community. And the key is how do we go about doing that? What are the tactics we can use? So when we look at my, my uh, tagline, They'll thank you for the machinery. By way of example, the members haven't been able to come to the club. So they thank you for the machinery. Oh, the golf course is in great shape. But they'll remember you for the poetry. Loyalty in a relationship, say it's your wife or your husband or your kids, is not based on stuff. It's based on the poetry. Do they care? Am I somebody in their eyes? Do they make me feel good? So we're going to be talking a lot about that today. So in terms of the workshop itself, uh, I don't know if you, 
you've downloaded the PowerPoint presentation, but I guess Mike can always put it up on the side uh, if you actually need that. But you really don't because just listen to what I'm saying. You can download it later if you want or whatever. But this Zoom experience is a little bit different. I like to unmute the mics only because if you want to speak, you can. This is supposed to be interactive. Now, if you have a question right off the bat, just raise your hand. There's, there's no mystery to it. Um, so you make it as easy as possible. So right now, everybody's on mute. Just raise your hand. You know, we'll take it from there. But I'd like this to be as personalized as possible. So uh, the idea is I have all your faces there. I've got your names there so I can point my finger and say, Terry, I want you to answer this. And uh, so be prepared to at least respond. And again, I'm not trying to put anybody, um, uh, you know, um, on the stage here. What I'm trying to do is to generate a collective interaction. We learn through the network, and this is our network right now. So, uh, again, you have a lot of articles that I sent out. These have all been published over the last couple of years. And the reason they're important now is because all of them deal with both the theory of the social KPIs I talk about, as well as the tactics. Now, if you download the PowerPoint, at the end of it, in the, in the section on KPI tactics, there are like 60 things that you can do that create this emotional cement that we're talking about both with the staff and with the membership. So I'd like to say right off the bat that, that we have a tremendous opportunity now uh, because the virus has, has amplified what I call the big empty in people. They're lonely and they're scared. They want dignity, status, and the buzz. So ask yourself, they're not together right now. They have this empty. So what we can do is provide two things right off the bat. One, a community of caring. Like if a person thinks about their club, does the club think about them? The question could be, what have you done to do a reach out, a personalized reach out to different members, uh, whether it be your older members, like I'm an older member at my club now, you know, to get a personalized note from the manager or whatever it might be, say, they need me, they remember me, they care about me. And when it comes time to pay their subscriptions, I guess you go by subscriptions, we go by dues. When it comes time to pay that, many people make the decision not on the number of times they play golf, but on the amount of love, if you will, they get when they go to the club by way of example. You know, I, I know a number of members here are members of the LA Country Club. They might only play once a month. So there's a $1,200 round of golf, right? But they stay members because their friends are there, if you ask them. So what we're trying to find out is, 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 well, what is the anecdote we can use for loneliness? You know, I, I'm sure you've all been reading a lot of stuff about one of the biggest issues in this day and age during the virus is loneliness. And although this helps, it doesn't resolve that empty, that hole that we have. So what the anecdote for loneliness? So if I was to ask right off the bat, does anybody have, I mean, I'll, I'll point right now, let me look at Roz. Roz, Roz Morrow? Yeah. Yeah, how are you, Roz? Is there one big insight that you've gained into clubdom as a consequence of the virus? Is there one thing that sort of leaped at you because of this madness that we're going through? Uh, yeah, I think the, the, the isolation of the membership and the mm -hmm. fact that when they can get together, they, um, 
they, they just want to uh, have a coffee and, and keep their 1.5 meter distance and they just want to communicate with other people. It's that sense of not being able to hug and touch anymore, but they, they need to be able to communicate. So, so the, the whole idea, it dramatizes that the need for this community is amplified because of the virus. Now, I'm just curious. Uh, we had a committee meeting in the parking lot the other day, <laughs> you know, socially distanced. And we did that because we just wanted to see each other. I'm on the history committee because I'm an old guy, I guess. But we just wanted to see them. So we need to remember what you just said, Ross, after the virus is gone. So I'm looking at Ross right now. You're off. What big insight into clubdom have you gained from this <clears throat> virus madness? Uh, let me see. You're talking to me. Is it, did you say Ross? Sorry, Greg. Uh, Ross versus Ross. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> going through the hours. Um, I guess the uh, the biggest thing was about we're a small country town, and um, uh, we're the only golf club in our town, mm. so it is a point of contact, a social contact. So. That's been the biggest thing, the separation. The boys can't wait until the bar is open. That's yeah. our biggest issue. You cannot come in for presentations. So it's like you, you roll up, you play your game, and then you go straight away. And they miss the idea. So we've had trouble trying to convince them to go home. Um, they tend to gather. Uh, whilst we're still allowed to have 20 people in a gathering, um, the boys still seem to hang around. And they'll hang around in the car park having chat. So it, you're right. It's the social part of the game that's important. Well, what I, th I think you've also dramatized the point. What we want to do, and one of the measures that I would use if I'm looking at your social KPIs, is how long do members linger after they finish their golf? And I know a lot of times in, in the UK, I've gone over, I guess they call them trunk people. They take the clubs out of the trunk, they play, they put them in the yeah. trunk, and then they leave. So one of the measures that I use to determine if there is that emotional cement at a club is the linger time after they played. So what you're saying is people are hungry for linger time. Yep. Although so, there's different, different types of people though, Greg. We have, uh, there's, there's different um, cliques within the club. Mm -hmm. We still have those people that trunk players, obviously, right. and there's arguments from our regular players that mm -hmm. think that we should have a bar levy. So those people who don't drink in the bar, right. They should be they should be charged anyway because they right. guys who linger they contribute right. to the club whereas the blokes right. who don't linger what do they contribute so it is well it, it's interesting because a lot of clubs in the states have a minimum you know whether it be a bar or a food and beverage yeah. minimum whatever it might be uh, in order to encourage that I eliminated that and raised the dues because I felt that people thought that that was blackmail. And a club that I was at, the Bel Air Country Club, which was a great club before the one I was at at the Beach Club, they had one, and the people would get really pissed at me about this. And these are people who got a lot of money, and it's the blackmail they don't appreciate. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the, the thing that I'd suggest to everybody is that during the virus, these are the things that you need to look at and write down and say, okay, after the virus is over, how can we create these linger opportunities? How can we create these social experiences? Not just during, but after this. So that comes around to what I call the mission of club. And I'm telling this to you now because this is my mission. And it, it's not everybody's. If you're at um, uh, uh, Augusta National, their mission of club is completely different than the mission of club at my club. My club and, and my vision of club is one to make people feel good, to generate big happy, to have fun. So that's the first thing right off the bat. 
I find that if I can make people happy and, 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 and deliver fun, then they will hang around. But the fun is there to create relationships and community. And the last thing I'd say, a club is all about efficiently. I mean, our job has been is to efficiently deliver the goods, services, programs, and facility necessary to create relationships and community. So one of the things is my club isn't one of those clubs that you've got millions and millions to spend on stuff. So the question is, how can you create those? How can you create this thing called club heat? Heat is people go to where their heat is. How do you create heat in a club that has modest resources? And I think that's an important thing. But once you understand what club is about, you need a definition. The why needs to be understood by a leader of any organization. So when somebody says, why are you in the club business? That's my definition. Why does the beach club exist? That's my definition. So each of you should know your club might be, we're all about golf and nothing else. Great. I have no problem with that. If you can stay alive and, and you've got people renewing their subscriptions, happy for you. I'm not here to tell you what's right or wrong, but that was mine. So when they hired me at the club, that was one of the first questions that they were asking. And I gave them that definition and obviously they bought into it. That was 34 years ago. So <laughs> I guess it worked. Now, what are Greg, social KPIs? What's that? No, sorry, sorry, Greg. Not, not, uh, just right. a point there with, with over here, we, we've had, um, I guess, some, some uh, messaging challenges from, with, the, with the government because their uh, message is that if you're over a certain age, you know, 60, 65 plus, you're, you, know, you, you <laughs> stay at home because it, you know, if you, you're more successful, susceptible, excuse me, I can't even talk, right. um, to, to getting the virus and, and mm -hmm. such. Um, and that's the age bracket that may or may not really be that tech savvy. Right. So you know, what, what would be some tactics on that in that space, reaching out to your 70 year old plus oh, members oh, that, that, that can't, can't come out. They're being told not to come out right. and how to, and, but the most social thing to fill that empty is for them to go see people. And that, oh, that's one of the challenges I see. But, but say they're not tech savvy. This is yeah. what you can do. A couple of things I'll just throw out right now. Yep. You know what those people are, you, you, you know, the seventies and older, You've got a staff that's being paid. I know you're being subsidized by the government to hang on yeah. to staff, right? So you got the staff. Say that, okay, you, Simon, who might be one of my assistant managers, you're going to call up these 15 people, all of whom are over 70, and just have a conversation with them. That's one thing. Next yeah. thing that you could do, you might want to deliver stuff to them. Uh, again, those people who are vulnerable, if you will, the 75-year-old member. And my club, I mean, we're an older club. Our uh, average age at the beach club is 63. Nobody leaves until they die. So you have a 90-year-old member. They can't go out of the house. They're, they're concerned. So what you do is, because you've got the staff now, they're doing nothing. So you get in the car and you drive over and you have a basket of food or whatever it might be. And always we, here, we've had a problem with toilet paper of all crazy things. So have a basket of food and wine and some toilet paper. And then you wave to them, tell them that you're there. You put it in a neutral location uh, and you talk to them at a distance. It's amazing how they say, I might be 75, but they have not forgotten me. The handwritten note, not, not the email note. Say they're not tech savvy, although my mother's 90 and she's tech savvy, so I think most people are. But a handwritten note, God, I hope you're doing well. I understand it's difficult because you can't <clears throat> see your children and your grandchildren, but a little gesture like those, and those are just three really quick examples that you can do that let people know. And don't tell me you can't find the time for it because now we've got the staff and nothing to do. 
Now, if you're paying people and they're not doing anything, they don't really feel good about that. They want to feel productive and meaningful. So our job as management is to say, these are things we're going to, we're going to send you on. I call it the mission from God. You're going to go over there and give the joy to these people, whatever it might be. Birthdays. I'll give you another example. A birthday. Obviously, you send them a note on their birthday and you do all that sort of thing. But you drive over and you have uh, you know, some music playing or whatever and you sing happy birthday to them. The whole neighborhood around them will see that. Now, those are things that you can do because now you've got the staff because they're not diverted. But even if you don't, you have time you can do that as well. So those are just a couple of things, Mike. And what you're saying is very important. It does, does that help? <laughs> yeah, no, no. I just thought it was just something in there. I, I know with the, we have a very diverse crowd on here. So it's uh, for what can some of the smaller clubs do versus bigger clubs. But, but you're, you're spot on because we've, we've had the JobKeeper subsidy to, to keep staff doing something, um, even with the courses being closed. You know, there, they, we had that opportunity. And I think a lot have, you know, have taken that, that top, maybe not to that degree, but well, let, let, let me give, give an example. If I ran a small club, I'm not one of these clubs that they love to go around. You go to World Conference and they love to tell you that they put $30 million in the golf course reservation and $40 million in the clubhouse. That's not me. I had to figure out how to do the, how to satisfy the principles of club cost effectively. That's, that's yeah. the world I come from. So, and I always found, and, and we were very successful, is and I found out that what people hunger for are those small emotional gestures, those people gestures that let them know that they're not, in a, they're not a customer, they are a member. And as a matter of fact, one of the clubs near us, some of their members who know me have come to me really bitching and moaning, saying, you know, oh my God, they did X, Y, and Z. And I say, they began to deal with you like you were a customer and not a member. So, and that's a, very, that's a whole other presentation, but that's a very big issue. So, Mike, what you're talking about is brilliant because the things I suggested aren't money things, are they? Yep. It's imagination. So, what are social KPIs? Let me, let me go through this. They are the type and number of direct and indirect, direct and indirect, people-to-people -people club encounters that generate emotional experiences that lead to the creation of relationships and community. That's what it is. So, you know, I love to go into clubs and I, I came up with this whole idea of social KPIs when I listened to, oh, uh, my mind went blank. Um, he runs Club Benchmarking, who's a it's great organization and they deal with financial KPIs. But I said, hold it. If you don't do the people right, the numbers, the money numbers aren't gonna come out right as well. So that's when I came up with this social KPI thing and how do we create those emotional experiences? I'll just give you a quick example. Uh, and if you read one of my articles that, that I wrote on it during the virus, my wife and I wanted club, capital C, capital L, capital U and B. We drove down to the club to pick up an Easter dinner. And the entire management team was out there. They all had masks on. They kept their distance and that but they were calling us by name. They were doing us, that made us feel good. We got home and we were eating the meal. That was what I call a six touch experience. And we'll go into that in a little bit, but we got home and we're eating the dinner and the food was the food, right? It was good. But you know, what did we remember? 
remember those seven people in the parking lot waving to us and calling us by name as they delivered. The general manager, the assistant manager, I mean, the membership director, they were all out there. Not the staff, they were out there. So how do you create these emotional experiences? If I had a child, and you know, whether it's good or bad, I have no kids, but I knew I had a thousand of them at the club. The, the thing that you tell kids is that if you're looking for a relationship, it's not the car you're driving that matters. It has to do with the emotional gestures that you make. Do you remember them on their birthday? Do you say, I care about you? Whatever it might be. So social net worth is the measurements, the, 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 the social net worth, not the KPIs, the net worth is the sum total of all your KPI tactics. And I guarantee you, I can come into any of your clubs and at the end of it, I can give you a measurement of what you are. The sum total of those is your social net worth. Now, obviously the more of the social experience people get, they return, they pay more, they linger longer and they spread the word. By way of example, a, a, I have a lot of friends. Most of them all at the beach club are all past presidents. I had 34 past presidents and were very close. And they, they all are members of other clubs and they know members of other clubs. And they're always comparing the social KPIs at the club without even calling them that with those of the other clubs. And it, so it's not about money. It's about how do you deliver that. So measuring the missions, there are two types of KPIs, key performance indicator. One is financial. Now, 50% of your job is doing business, 50%. You've got to come out with the numbers that are right so that your finance committee doesn't take you by the throat and kill you. So the question that you have is, is you have to get those numbers right. But I measure the poetry side of the equation. I call those the relationship numbers. We're going to talk, go into that great detail. At my club, when I got there, we had no money. We were a million dollars in debt and we were a mess. And had been there for 75 years. I said, how could they live this way? And we had no money to invest in the stuff that most of these uh, consultants will tell you, you've got to invest X number of millions in your clubhouse and this and that. I couldn't do that. So I said that the social experience will drive the numbers. Now, that's very difficult to sell to a finance committee because finance committees look at the end result of what we as the managers do. They look at the end result of members coming to the club three days a week, right? The end result of members joining so they can play uh, 13 rounds of golf a month or whatever it might be. So we need to quantify social KPIs and that's what we're talking about. So again, the emotional side of the experience can be measured through the tactics, right? Now, I'm going to give you in a second, I can, I can come into your club and quickly give you a rating right off the bat without going into the tactics, what you do or don't do, because what you do or don't do will be expressed in certain things. So the one is, is that you have is, uh, there are two types of KPIs, social KPIs for staff and for members. One of the measures that we'll talk about in just a second is the social KPIs for staff are as important as the social KPIs for members. Because if the staff are happy and they stay, the members will be happy and stay. By way of example, just the other day, we were doing a Zoom cocktail party, which we do every Sunday night with four, four couples that, uh, that, that we know. And we were talking about the staff at these other clubs, very prestigious clubs. 
and the turnover is enormous. And you scratch your head and they say, well, it's tough service business. Well, why is the average age, not the average age, the average longevity of my core team at the Beach Club was 17 years? Huh? So it's not about the money because we didn't overpay people. It was about the other side, you know, of the experience. So one of the things I always guard about, because the other KPIs are the financial ones, most clubs, and I don't know if your club is this, but ask yourself, does the finance committee dictate policy, financial, not financial, but operational policy for the other committees. And ours, we didn't. The finance committee for us only reviewed the end result of what the other committees did. When I got to the Beats Club, the finance committee was trying to dictate to all the other committees what they should or should not do. I don't believe that's the case. Their job is to measure the end result of the policies that have been adopted. So again, the big picture audit, you know, and, and ask yourself these questions. If I was to go into your club and say, you've got great social KPIs because of X, or you don't have because of Y, the first thing I'd look at is member turnover as a percentage of total members each year. We used to turn over 12 to 15 members a year, and we had 735 members, right? So that's very low. So I guess that people like to hang around. The average age, I could look at the average age of your members and the longevity of those members. And I would say you're doing the social side well or poorly. Staff turnover is another one I talked about, a huge issue. Because if staff like you, like we have multi-generational staff, usually first generation, uh, we have a lot of Hispanics in Southern California, worked at the club, but then their children grow up, they work at the club, and then they go to college, and while in college, they still work at the club. So I'm going to look at the staff turnover as an indicator of your social KPIs. Member longevity, huge thing. What is the average member longevity? How many years do they stay before they leave? You know, at, at my club, it's, it's until they die. I mean, the number of people over 80 at my club is enormous, and they haven't been on the beach in years, right? So you ask yourself, why are they hanging around? Why are they paying all these dues? And it's not inexpensive. Why are they doing this? What are they looking for? Um, legacy children, I like to see. And, and ask yourself at your club these questions. How many legacy children are there at your club? How many multi-generational? Now, uh, right now, we're doing our 100-year thing. We've been around for 100 years. So we have what we call the Century Club. Those members who had great-grandparents who were members of the club back in, in the 20s when that started. You know, we like to look at multi-generational members. The club must have been nice enough so that their kids wanted to grow. Uh, legacy staff, uh, a lot of people say, oh, we don't want that because they're afraid of um, uh, illegal activity, if you will. We're just the opposite. Uh, I love to have what I call godfathers in positions. They're the ones that bring to me uh, their relatives. And they're the ones that keep an eye on these people and make sure they're right. So I look at multi-generational staff. I look at frequency of visits. I mean, it'd be interesting to go to your clubs and do a survey. Oh, how many times have you been at the club in the last month, last six months, in the last year? <clears throat> and if you took those measures at all these different clubs, I could tell you which one has the highest social KPIs. At length of time during a visit. Uh, that would be very curious. Now, what's going to happen after this is over with is that I would like to know the number of members that retain their membership 
post-virus. Because if you've done the virus period well, believe me, the number that will leave is going to be far less than if you don't. So th there, there are different social KPI opportunities because now we're moving into tactics. We've got certain philosophy. So the first thing is you've got to map the experience of the staff person. You know, when they arrive at the club, the touch points that you have throughout the club. How have you brought this club experience, this emotional experience to each of these touch points? What are you doing to make me feel good when I drive into the parking lot? Like we pay a lot of money for a guy to stand in the parking lot, quote, security. If there's something happened, believe me, he better tell somebody else. But he waves to you. He calls you by name. He opens the door for you. A lot of people will say that they would never leave the club because they don't get that a greeting anyplace else except at Walmart. Any, I don't know if you have Walmart there, but one of the things Walmart does, they have this little guy, this fat old guy usually with a, a, um, a, uh, a whatever, a jacket on, and he greets you when you come in. And my mother, who's now 90, she doesn't go to Walmart on her own. She used to drive 10 miles to get to the local Walmart. And every time she walked into this place, the guy said, hello, Alice, to her. So she won't shop anyplace else. Interesting. So this encounter map is maybe the first thing that you have to do. You have to find out what is the route that people take when they come to the club and how can we enhance each of those touch points. So there are two types of KPIs, tactics that you can now use. The first one are KPI tactics that every encounter should have. Smile, eye contact, greeting, question asked. There it is. Every time they come into the bar, uh, the, the pro shop, the first tee, wherever it is, those are universal social KPIs at your club. So everybody that's trained at your club knows that when they encounter a member, these things must be done. The term I use is GEG, greet, engage, goodbye. Simple as that. So everybody has to do that every time they see a member, no matter where it is. Then you need the social KPIs applicable to specific parts of that journey. Now, what do we mean by that? I'm in the pro shop. The social experience I have there is different. I might greet you with the, the first four, the gag, greet, engage, goodbye. But then I say, oh, last time you were in, you bought golf balls. And I remember the golf balls you bought. That is a specific KPI. I remember you. I care about you. I want to give you that which you need and want, and you have a history of wanting those things. So one of the things, once you have done this encounter, once you have identified tactics that be used everywhere, then you identify the tactics, the touch points that can be used in a specific area with specific people, then what you have to do, you have to educate two people or two groups of people. One, the staff. So I would look at what is your staff training policy? And I have this thing called five-minute education. It's every day. Uh, again, it's one of the articles I wrote in this and that. It's just what we did every day. We made education fun. So you have to educate the team to the macro issues and to the micro issues for their, their department and their encounter experience. The other ones, though, I always gave my members expectations. I always like to say, when you come into the club, you should expect to have the security guard wave to you. 
you should expect these things. Because if staff know the members have these expectations, they tend to satisfy those expectations. It's very important. Uh, and what, what, what I found is uh, things that I used to do. I'll just give you an example. When there's a, 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 an event, a wedding coming into the club, I as manager would stand in the lobby. We had staircase down to the living room, big living room. I had an assistant manager there and elsewhere because somebody coming in doesn't know where to go. So I greet them, welcome to the club, you're here for the wedding, just this way. That is a critical thing that becomes second nature. Members expect it. So what happened, I mean, we're on the third manager in four years after I left. <laughs> so the tragedy is, this is the tragedy. Member expectations for social KPIs had not changed. What changed was management's willingness to deliver the KPIs that they expected from them. I'll give you another example. My assistant manager and I went to every funeral, every funeral. We went to every funeral and members remember that. So we left and they don't do it anymore. So all of a sudden people get angry with you because my job had been to deliver expectations to the members. And then when members found that they were satisfied, one, they trusted me because I actually did the things that I said I was going to do. And it's important. So our job is to educate the staff, but also to educate the members. By way of example, they're coming down for a pickup. You should expect when you come down for a pickup, one of the senior management team's gonna be out front and calling you by name. There it is. Yeah, and you say, holy smokes. So if a member comes down and they don't see that, they'll be annoyed. But my job is to make sure that during that encounter, they do in fact experience that. So the whole idea is you've got to train, what I call training to the numbers. Like what percentage of, 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 of um, contacts? Uh, when a member comes in, how many times does a staff person call them by name? That's a measure. So we train to the numbers. You tell them these are the principles, these are the practices, these are the numbers we're looking for. Staff know that and they're trained to do it. And you know how much fun it is when you've actually trained a person to do something, they do it, and then you salute and celebrate the fact that they did. And that word spreads and all of a sudden you have this culture. People, a culture is when people know what to expect. This is the way we do things here. That's my definition of culture. This is the way we do things here. Staff know it, members know it, and when it's done, there's this sense of community that's developed. So what I look at is, is, is touch. Now I'm gonna give you the six principles of touch. And there are touch encounter. Every time you train somebody for an encounter, say, do the six touches apply to this encounter? Again, because you've got to have principles. Tra tactics can only be applied once you have the principles in place first. So the touch is about engagement. People want to have memorable engagements. What is it they say? Uh, the, 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 a lot of people have used this recently. Uh, they will remember what you did, uh, they will thank you for what you did, but they will remember you for how you made them feel. And my whole thing about emotional cement is making people feel good, right? So in order to deliver the touch, 
Uh, that is what I call the poetry of the experience. Let me give you the six touch points and I will measure or you can measure any encounter between a staff person and a member or a staff person and the staff person or the manager and the staff person with these six touch points. First one is the eye touch, easiest thing to do. You, 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 like right now, you can sort of see people or whatever it might be. The, the eye touch, I see you. And people will know if you've made an eye touch, the easiest thing to do. So you look them in the eye. Uh, one of the things I train staff, you look them in the eye, you nod your head and you lean forward. You might be thinking about what is the six pack of beer I'm gonna be drinking with my girlfriend tonight. But what they see is the tactic. You look in the eye, you're nodding your head and you're speaking to them. The next thing is the verbal touch. Simple greet, how are you? Engage, well, what's happening today? And goodbye. I'll give you an example. Now, obviously this can apply in the parking lot when you're giving somebody a pickup or it can apply when they come into the dining room. And obviously it was developed by me when it is about our dining room experience. Somebody comes into the dining room, obviously you leave what you're doing, you go take care of them. But when they leave that night, the impact is when all the staff stop what they're doing and they wave goodbye and call you by name. Try this sometime when members bring their friends into your club or they come into the pro shop and you leave and they're with their friends. What will the friends remember? God, they all stopped doing what they were doing for a millisecond and waved goodbye and called you by name. Try it in your dining room and see how improved your dining room experience will be. You can charge more money for it too. <laughs> Andrew will like that. Cash is king, baby. So, you know, these, these, these touches. The next thing is the ear touch. Do you teach your staff to listen, right? Or how do you listen effectively? You know, do you write down notes? Do you repeat it back to them? Listening is a huge part of being touched. Uh, I'm sure all of you have been to events and you can tell if somebody is truly listening to you or not. Next thing is, and this is very difficult now, it's called the touch touch, right? Where you actually, uh, at the beach club, we do the potatoes and the French fries. And it sounds crazy, but if you're a 95 year old woman and the general manager comes up and does potatoes and French fries, and you both laugh, she will pay her dues every month because of the emotional experience you just delivered. So how do you translate touch? I mean, physical touch. Now, what we're doing now at the club, we do the elbow, and maybe you do that as well. Nobody wants to touch hands, but we do the elbow. You know, you got the mask on, you do the elbow and the whole thing. But it's a touch. People, the human condition says we want to be touched. I mean, all of you, if you have children, know that all of these are true. If you're a parent and you had a class in parenting, touch is a huge part of what a parent does. The next thing is the intermediate touch. Now, I'll give you an example. All of these are what was being done in the parking lot at the beach club when I picked up dinner for Easter. One, the eye touch, the moment we were in the park, we were in the highway and it's six lanes and you, they were waving to us before I came in, eye touch. Verbal touch, the minute we came in, the windows weren't even rolled down, they were calling out my and my wife's name. The ear touch, obviously they're, you know, how are you, what's going on? The intermediary touch was the bag of goods they gave us. Now we have, we have uh, my time mixing, we have all sorts of classes online from the club. And you can actually go down and you can buy the mix. So they have the mix and the mixers and everything that goes with it. 
And so you can watch our mixologist as they're making it and you can make it at home. But that's an intermediate touch. When they're looking at that stuff, they're remembering you. Now, all of you give gifts to people. What is a gift all about? It's about remembering you when you're not there. That's called an intermediate touch. That's why you give gifts at Christmas time. That's why uh, you send, my mother just sent me, I got a birthday coming up. She sent me a little birthday card, uh, you know, so that's the card is a touch, but then there's the written touch, hugely powerful. Now it could be an email touch or it could be a handwritten one. Obviously the most effective touch when it comes to written is the handwritten note by way of example. You're, here you are during the, uh, the virus. You know, uh, you've got an 85-year-old woman. You know you don't want to come down the club, whatever it might be. A handwritten note, handwritten, not emailed, handwritten, and say, oh, Mary, you know, I do hope you're doing really well. We so miss you at the club. Whenever you're down here, our bar sales go up, you know, or whatever it might be. <laughs> we get a lot of drinkers. But that is a written touch, and it's powerful. The most important touch you know, now, the written touch, I'll give you an example. When they give these prepared bags, like we just had another one the other night. We do a lot of takeout from the club. And, and we live 15 miles away from the club, and we go down for the takeout. They write a little note on it, a little tiny note. It says, oh, they call me Greg. They don't call me Mr. Patterson. Greg, it's great to have you and Elaine down here. It's always a treat. We look forward to actually serving you at a table. A little note. You know how powerful that is? And it doesn't take money. All it takes is imagination and commitment, which are huge things. And the last thing, and maybe the most important when you're welding people together, is what I call the brain touch. You know, the conversation that you have. We have these committee meetings online, like we're doing right now. And it's all about ideas. And so for two hours, you're just throwing ideas back and forth. Ideas weld people together in a very special way. So there are always six touch opportunities. Now in your uh, outline uh, or in your PowerPoint, I have tons of these. I have, and the next section is touch tactics and metrics. By way of example, uh, number of new member and new staff orientations, which and orientations are the six touch opportunity. Now we have people who are still joining the club. We have a couple year wait list. So, I mean, it's, it's go, we, we got to keep processing. It takes two years to get in. So it's, it's processing all the time. So we want the money, obviously, from the people and the commitment, right? Because they can't buy unless somebody is already sold. They're selling their equity. So we want to orient them. So you have to orient them online. So that is your opportunity to touch them in a special way. So people tend to stay if their first encounter with the club is a good one. And the orientation of new members is the ultimate six-touch opportunity. And again, we could go into that in great detail, but we've got everything. Number of notes written to members by management. Numbers of members, manager greets in the lobby. Now you can't greet them. I'd say greet in the parking lot when they come to pick up stuff. Number of times the golf pro or the chef greet members in the lobby. I love to have the, the, the chef in the lobby with me. Our big, we were open for dinner five nights a week, but I would be in the lobby three nights, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, usually with the chef. Because I always found if they know the chef and have a personal relationship and the chef knows them, they pay more money for the food, the food always tastes better, and they come down more often. Axiom, doesn't cost you anything. So we're not talking about expense. 
you know, to have that delivery out front, the takeaway handed to you by the chef is a very big deal. So anyway, I could go through these. I've got tons of these, you know, committees, touch tactics, that sort of thing. I mean, I just on and on and on. Again, did anybody actually download my PowerPoint? Okay, if you have the chance, you should do it. Because if I were to come in, say somebody were to say, okay, Greg, we'd like you to come in and do a, a, a secret shopper audit of the social KPIs at the club. These are the things I'd be looking for quite candidly, you know, and all you got to, and, and I can see them without having a piece of paper in my hand. So when you come back, you can ask yourself, did they do these or did they not? So the next thing, and, and one of the big things, particularly now, and I know with our government, we have a problem right now with trust. Now trust is an emotional issue, right? And, and logic follows emotion. So here we are in the middle of the virus. People are wondering, should I trust them to make sure this club experience is equal to what my expectations are? Do I trust that the club will be there for me when this is over with in the same way it was before? Trust is a huge issue. It's, it's, it's a, a belief that you will tell them what they, you're going to do. And I, hopefully your president and your manager are sending out every week updates, separate ones. Ours, I, I'm just talking about the beach club now. The president sends out a weekly update. The general manager sends out a weekly update just to let you know what's going on. What can you expect? Trust comes because, oh, they've told us. And then we actually do those things. And then the very clever thing to do is after you've done it, you tell them that you did it. So trust is one of those social KPIs that people forget. Trust is emotion. The logic comes afterwards. Do I trust, whether it be the president of the United States, the prime minister of Australia, trust is a huge thing and it's, it can be lost very easily and very quickly. So obviously it's easy to do it. Now what you wanna do, and we've talked about this before, is create that coherent club culture so that your staff and your members have the same expectations and that they actually are doing things consistent with the culture you've defined. So creating coherent culture, I'll just tell you, it's, it's very easy, not really easy. First thing is the human resource cycle. Your staff are the most important expression of your culture. As a matter of fact, two of our managers didn't make it because they did not hire good lieutenants. I've always said that you will be judged by the lieutenants you hire. So one of the things that you want, they trust you if you hire good people. And if you don't, the trust is gone. And how do they deal with you then? The next thing is the board. How do you get board trust? You know, what do you have to document? How do you meet people? What do you do? Committees and the membership. So that's a big thing. So you know, trust is something you've got to keep in mind when you're talking about social KPIs, because you can go into a club, I guarantee it right now, do a random survey of your members and say on a scale of one to a hundred, what is your trust factor right now? They do these surveys all the time in the States, Congress, which controls all the money and legislation, all that. The trust factor is like 19%, which is horrifying. If you had a manager where only 19% of the members trusted them, you'd be in trouble. But I can go to staff as do you trust? One of the issues that came up with an early manager, he said, oh, I'm going to take care of the staff. Then he never gave them a raise, right? So all of a sudden you lose the trust of the staff. They will tell you. 
So now we're getting down to the point is where do you come up with the tactics that you need to express the social experience at your club and to create this thing called emotional cement? I'll just quickly go over where ideas come from. First of all, identify the problem, right? The problem might be, how do we generate loyalty such that after the virus is over, they will renew their subscription? That's a big one, right? So how do you go about figuring that out? Well, I said already, we're going to deal with the emotional side of the experience. And the first thing is, I call it the yap. You know, who are the people you talk to within your network, within the club and outside the club? Now, we, we call them committees in the board of directors. Uh, maybe your board is your committee and you have subcommittees. I don't know how it goes, but you have an internal network of idea generators, staff and members, committees, board, whatever it might be. And then you have outside. Like I would say, this is one example of your outside network when you're trying to come up with ideas. Like if anybody were to email me after this and Zoom with me, which would be free if you care to do it, it's always available to you. The fact of the matter is I could give you 20 ideas that you might do, like Mike asked right there. So four things you can do. It doesn't cost you anything for people who aren't tech savvy. Boom. Your ideas come because you ask the right questions of the people who are in your network. Come to your committees, your golf committee. Why is it that more teenagers don't play golf? And so you get ideas. I call that the yap. The next thing is the consume. You know, now the great thing, I don't know if you all use Google. I love Google. But I don't know if the GMA is like the CMAA. The CMAA has lots of Zoom uh, stuff going on right now. The interesting thing that I find is that they put these all in a library. So you can go to that information at any time. The information, the vast quantity of information that's available is there. Tapping into that is all you have to do. Like one of the big issues now is what are the tactics we can use to reopen the club? Now, this is not about feeling good. This is about things that you have to do. How many times do you wipe down, distance remove, staff with masks? Those are checklist things that you can do, and it's available. That's a huge network. I, I like to call it the consume, uh, you, you know, it, that you've done the research, you've done the Google search, because it's free and it's easy to do. Next thing is what I call the brew and sue. I'm a, I'm a bicyclist. Like this afternoon, I was out for two, two and a half hours, and I'm not a racing biker. I'm a touring biker and a commuter. And I always, I start thinking about things and I have my notepad with me. Uh, where's my notepad? Right here. And some of the ideas that I come up with when I'm on my notepad, uh, when I'm on my bicycle, because all those ideas are bubbling around in your brain. Then the next thing you've got to do is you've got to ink it. What are the specific steps I can now take to do this? Now, these are things that you can tell your board, we're going to come out of this. And we're going to be in good shape because... The next thing is, I, I call it flops and fumbles. You've got to try, you do, and then you see how it is. And then afterwards, you reconfigure it, and then you talk about it some more. So if you want to come up with social KPI tactics, that's the best way to do it. Now, one of the things I always touch, tell touches, you've got to beware. I mean, the fact is, some people just want the stuff. <laughs> and so you've got to figure out who wants the stuff and who wants the love the emotional side of the experience. And what I've discovered is some people just want what the club delivers. They want machinery, leave me alone, and you got to go. One of the things we have to touch people is who are the ones that want to be touched and who aren't. They say, I don't want to hear from the club twice a week. That's way too much, right? So you got to figure out how to deal with that. So 
you, you've got to teach during this touch thing, the encounter moment, your staff have to know what is the right amount and wrong amount of touch. So again, leadership is about knowing the why. Why are you going about pursuing tactics? The why is about creating relationships and community. Let's just say this. You need a template. The template are the tactics that you will use to experience the why. Then you've got to do the audit. There are two parts of this. Where do we stand right now? And you just rate yourself one to, one to 10. You know, it might be a number of time, number of times, number of staff the manager knows by first name. Might be 100%, might be 10%, right? Identify what your goal is. I want my staff to know 100% of the children at the beach club. And we've got like, I think, 700 kids, you know, running around. We want them to know those who are using the club on a regular basis. Then we've got to make sure we choose the right people because one of the things, I, I remember when I've been over in Australia, people, they bitched a lot about that, bitch and moaned about their staff, um, it, which, is, which is interesting. So obviously, I don't know how selective you can be in choosing staff, but you've got to figure out who is it that can deliver my why. And my why is relationships. Uh, if, if, and I've got tactics for hiring the people. I've got all sorts of things. But the fact of the matter is, if those people don't have it in them, to deliver the love, to deliver that warm embrace, uh, to give that, that sense of caring, you know, then you, you're in trouble if you hire them. If it's just a job, you're in trouble. So, and then the how, the, the big thing is the checklist. Do you have a checklist of things you expect them to do to create these emotional moments, these opportunities that exist? How do you train to them? How do you affirm them? How do you keep people excited about them? And, and lastly, you've got to give, deliver the buzz. So we're almost at the hour. We've got five minutes. Does somebody have a question? Because I'd love to. And, and obviously, download this stuff. There's so many KPIs in there, specific tactics that you can do. So I've really been talking a lot about theory because we don't have a lot of time. But the actual tactics are in there. So questions i'd love to now if you were in in a room together i would divide you up into tables and say okay each table has one minute to come up with a question but i'm throwing it wide open right now does anybody have a question mike did anybody send in a no question? no i think yeah. everybody's uh, digesting the, the information and uh, i guess from my my standpoint is uh, every club is so different in, in um your resource wise we've got some small clubs with really, really small teams. Right. It's just taking that, those, um, those opportunities and, and adapting it to what you, what you can do. Even just take one, one of those ideas um, and just focus on it for three or four months. You know, a very simple one, just, just remembering names. Back, back in the old days, we used to have little uh, letter, little um, cards, little five by sevens with, with our members' names mm -hmm. on it. And we'd, we'd, quit, we'd quiz each other. We'd be in the back room and we'd just quiz each other. Who's this, who's this member? What is, what is this? What is he like? How, how does he swing? What's his handicap name? And we just quiz each other all the time. Um, well, before tech, before all this tech came in. We, we and I think that's about earlier. The, the, the interesting thing is that we had a monthly all-staff meeting. Now, my, my normal off-season staff was about 80 and the summertime was about 150 to 160 people, something like that. But remembering names was huge. So I'll just give you a way of getting them to remember names. Uh, we took photographs of all the members, not, not 
ones I sent, but we'd take them when they come in. Oh, we need your photograph because we're doing the member name game. And we had classes each week and remember member names. Photograph, we'd tell you something about the person, whatever it might be. Monthly all staff meeting, we'd, I, I love these name games. You know, I, I pull them out yeah. of the raffle. So I might pull out Will. I said, Will, come down to the front. For every one of these members you name, you get $5, right? And so there might be 25 of them. You can walk away with some serious money, right? So you come down there and everybody's cheering and everything like that, but they want to know. So then you have during the five minute up brief that you have in the morning, you do exactly what you're saying. You do it during the day. If that is a priority, you know, first of all, I and other people can tell you tactics that you could use to teach to those things. The question is, you've got to have the tactic first, like greet, engage, goodbye. And once you have the tactic, then you can teach to that tactic. So interesting thing. Other yeah. issues. I, I love it. I happen to love this stuff. <laughs> we we'll, we'll know that one, Greg. Yeah, yeah. No, no, we'll, we'll, we'll just have a couple of minutes to wrap up this side of it. But anybody that wants to stay on and just have a, a, an open conversation, you're more than welcome to as well. Terry, um, your, your, your yellow yeah. thing went up there. Did you have a question or was it just you were moving something around? Yeah, look, I do have a question, Greg. Yeah. Um, and I'm interested in what your thoughts are. Uh, a senior public health official here in New South Wales uh, published a paper just this week Mm -hmm. And I took note of it just for today's session. And so I'll read what the comment was, and I'll just, uh, I'll be interested to see what your response is. Fabulous. Um, so he wrote that uh, businesses cannot thrive in the setting of a pandemic. Who will go into a restaurant or a shopping mall or a workplace when they fear contracting a disease? Mm -hmm. Who wishes to risk their life and the life of their loved ones to go to a theatre or to get a haircut? And so that's out there in the public. Now, we already know there's high levels of fear and anxiety. Yeah. We're seeing that in every golf club that we do our services or deliver our services to. But I'm just interested in, um, we've somehow got to come up with this process to engender some trust or something. I don't know what it is. See, I, I, that's a fabulous question, uh, Terry. Let me, let me tell you what's interesting is that clubs sell safety correct? Whereas people in a place that they don't know, they don't trust it. Remember we talked about trust? One of the things that we've done is like we've opened up, you can come in and play tennis now, but you got to be singles. We've got a holding pen. We actually, you know, measure the temperature on your head and one thing and the next. Because we have communicated to our members the tactics that we will use to ensure that they will be safe trust arises by way of example we have an attendant now at every bathroom we only have two bathrooms that we're using but there's an attendant there one person at a time in the bathroom that person comes out the attendant goes in and sanitizes that space we tell them what we're going to do we have the people there their friends tell other friends that they've done it we can do short videos i mean try short videos when you send out the email you have a link to one of these uh, youtube links this is what you can expect when you come down to the bathroom at the beach club. Fear happens when people don't know what to expect, Terry. You hit it right on the nose. Clubs are in the unique position of having a fixed place. They have a fixed community. They can communicate to that community. They can set up policies and procedures that are applicable to those safety procedures. So at the club, uh, my club, I only talk about my club now because it's real. It's not fantasy everybody's real comfortable. Now it's onerous in the sense that we have a holding pen 
on one of the tennis courts, you approach it from the parking lot, you have to sit in there separated, they have to measure the temperature on your head, uh, they have to make sure that you know the rules, social distancing, mask on the face when you go inside, that sort of thing. And then they'll release you and we only release X number of people. We only let 50 people into the club at any one time. You can't be this and that. So Terry, this is an excellent opportunity for clubs to win in a fear environment. So I happen to love the fact that it's fearful. By way of example, if a club's in a dangerous neighborhood, say you're in the middle of Sydney, which is a dangerous city, right? <laughs> right. But you're there. The club is the sanctuary. It is an escape from the madness. So, uh, Terry, I'm glad he came out with that. And then you can tell your members, look, this is what they're saying about restaurants and hotels. And we understand that because you don't know those people. You don't trust those people. This is us. You can trust us because of this. And we will affirm it when you come down. Excellent question, Terry. Excellent question. Yeah, Greg, that, that's, been, that's a good point because what we're saying, um, a lot of our clubs, the private ones, have not um, – have just focused on their members now. We're, we're seeing competition rounds growing, new membership inquiries because they, you know, they can't get onto some of these courses like they used to. The social player are now joining and, and starting to understand. Um, I, I guess one of our goals right now is how, how do we retain them as members, as club, not just as a loyalty, you know, pay for rounds, and how do we retain them? And that, that, that's, that's becoming more topical for us now. Is, well, okay, we've, we've got all these new people on. It's a safe haven. It's a home away from home. We, we need that messaging out there that, you know, hey, this is, like you said, this is everything we're doing. This is how we're making it safe. We, we welcome you here and, you know, and we'll, we'll give you the, those different touch points, you know, when they do well, come through. Exactly, Mike. If you look at all the tactics that I've addressed, you yeah. know, the, the, the emotional KPIs, the social KPIs, believe me, loyalty comes from it. Why does the beach club, which is a funky little club on the coast, have zero turnover, essentially zero turnover, unless you've died, right? Why is that? And it's that loyalty is what I've been talking about. These, the emotional cement is about loyalty. How do you get staff loyalty? Well, do you have a monthly all staff meeting? Do you have a daily up brief? Do you have a daily debrief? I mean, there's things that you can do with the staff, actual tactics that don't cost you anything that will generate loyalty. And uh, it's a huge issue, Mike. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think over here, my, from my, my perspective, I've always seen that there's people say they're a member of a club, but it's really just the golf component and how often right. they play and they measure the value by right. how many rounds versus right. what, what you've always talked about in true club is that, is that relationship and community and the, the bonds that are being built over time, you know, like anything, you know, it, we trust these people because they're, they're part of our tribe. You know, remember, we, people will thank you for the machinery. They remember you for the poetry. It's, it, obviously, that's a takeoff on that, uh, the poet, uh, Maya Angelou, who said, you know, they'll thank you for what you gave them, but they remember you for how you made them feel. Yeah. Everything I've talked about today is how do you make people feel? Now, uh, understand what's interesting is my wife, her background, none of her friends, and she's a big corporate cheese and this and that, none of them remembers the clubs. They wouldn't even think, she said, unless you're in the club business, I would never have thought about it. She never came down to the club because it was a place of work for me when I was there. Mm. 34 years later, she comes down. If I were to die tomorrow, she would never sell the membership. She would never do that. She would pay the dues until she dies because she now understands what club delivers. What an opportunity for us during the virus to dramatize what do clubs deliver? 
And if all we're trying to do is sell golf, believe me, and this happens in, I've seen this in the UK yeah. and Amsterdam and all over the place, that when the subscription comes up, they say, I'm just going to piss off because I can join another club tomorrow, right? Yeah. But you can't get what we deliver in truly a club environment. You know, people, people join for the golf, but they stay for club. And yeah. if, if you read, I mean, there are a lot of reports now, um, you know, uh, uh, McMahon and company and all these other ones, you know, surveying why do members stay at clubs now? And the first thing, you know what the first thing is? Community. It's like they stole some of my stuff. <laughs> Community. No, and they do. Yeah, no, no, I, I Golf is number six on the reason members stay at their club. Think of yeah. that for a second. So all of a sudden safety, what Terry said is one of the reasons. Will my kids be safe? Like at the beach club, once you've gone through the general manager, used to be the general manager's 10-year-old orientation, you can be at the club alone, right? You trust that the club is a safe environment. Safety sells, right? And as the world is filled with virus, as it's filled with um, you know, crime or whatever it might be, those are opportunities. Those are not problems for clubs, those are opportunities. Yeah, what, well, what you mentioned about the, what we call the car park golfer over here, mm. you know, is exactly, exactly what, what we hear everywhere. You know, they, they, they come and they go and, and some of it's time, timeliness, you know, you know, they, right. you know, they're very short on time to get out, but um, you know, that opportunity to come in and have a drink is, you know, it's going by the wayside. Well, it's interesting. I was just, I was just having a, a, a socially distanced dinner, uh, my wife and I, with some of our friends who were present. Actually, two of them were both presidents historically. Uh, he was a president, she was a president. They're members at a very prestigious West End club. And we asked, I asked that very question. When you finished 18 holes of golf, do you go in the bar, you hang around, and then do you have dinner? No. They're obviously members of the beach club. We have bocce leagues there, you know, where you roll the ball. I guess it's like bowls or whatever. Ask somebody, do you play? Yes. Do you stay for dinner? Yes. Do you drink before or after? Yes. So all of a sudden you're playing bocce, which is a stupid game, right? I mean, actually, I love bocce, just so I shouldn't say stupid. But all of a sudden you'll have 300 people for dinner on a Wednesday night in the middle of winter time because they want to be at the club playing bocce. And the bocce is an excuse to create relationships and community. I mean, it's huge. Um, one of the articles I wrote, it was a joke I was doing about my finance committee because we paid 125,000 US dollars for the bocce courts that we have with real crushed seashells and you know, bar and all sorts of stuff. They laughed at me. They said, that's the dumbest thing in the world. You'll never get it paid back. I said, look, if a member doesn't leave because of that, if the member uses it, yeah. we've created this social relationship. And after it started up, they found out we've got tremendous amount of business because of these stupid bocce courts, right? Now they think, oh, it was so wonderful. It was cost effective. But they looked at numbers. They did not look at philosophy. And I think that's what you got to sell. We are managers. The numbers come if the philosophy's right. That's yeah, it's going to be really interesting. We'll, we'll start, we'll wrap up at this point, I guess, and we'll, we'll throw it out for, for any final questions. Um, with the fact that our clubs have been shut down, so Victoria being shut down for uh, four or five weeks or mm -hmm. six weeks, I believe, um, the minimal amount of players in other states being able to get on, um, only being able to arrive 10 minutes before your tea time and leave mm -hmm. after, I think people finally realize what they are losing now. So I wonder if what what the crowd, what the uh, the readers here, the um, watchers here would think about, about that. Are, you know, are we going to see an uptake now once our restaurants slowly start opening up again? Are we going to start seeing people wanting to congregate because we haven't been able to for so long? Is so there? Going, oh wow, we miss it. 
So I'd say, Chris, is there a hunger for club once this is over with? Do you feel that pent-up need for what we deliver as private clubs? Uh, he's still on. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Um, even now, we're slowly opening up clubhouses and the appreciation for what's there and the ability to do it is huge. Absolutely. And, and as Mike was saying, there's just a, a complete um, realignment of people realising what they've got and appreciating what they've got mm -hmm. as well as far as golf courses and clubs and, mm -hmm. and their lifestyle and, and what, it, you know, taking a lot of it for granted previously, I think, but now they're actually realising what they've got. Yeah, so Richard, I think we have a great opportunity at the moment, you know, is for the clubs that can, you know, pivot because our staff are all on, even if it's on JobKeeper, we've got the resource there and then we're slowly easing into it um, you know, over the coming coming months with bigger group sizes. You know, we've, we've got that chance to, to really win them over and keep them even for longer. So if I was on your board of directors or your committee, I might say, we've got a real opportunity. I've read all the stuff in the magazines. There's a real opportunity when this is over with to really attract people back to the club experience. What tactics, what process have you, the manager, put in place to make sure you take advantage of this once the doors reopen? And if I were on your board, again, <laughs> I would say, I want to see it on a piece of paper. That's sort of my thing. I'm a white paper guy. I want to see it on a piece of paper. And we will measure your success based on those things that you put on that piece of paper. Are, are any of your clubs requiring this of you as managers? I'll pick Richard. Richard, <laughs> you've been listening so intently. I love the beard as well. Yeah, thanks. Yours, yours too. Like this. Um, <laughs> we've got a board meeting this afternoon, so I guarantee that'll come up because, you know, <laughs> You know, we were one of the one of the clubs you mentioned that was uh, closed for six weeks. Right. Um, pretty much no food and beverage facilities at all. We've tried to do what we can with the members since they've been back, but the, mm -hmm. the limitations are very strong um, in Victoria. But um, look, I think the, the one thing that people are missing is the community and the um, being able to see their mates, being able to get together, have a chat, have a beer, um, and and I. I agree with you, Greg. I think you know that golf is the is the um, side effect of, of being a member of a club. Right. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people that do come for the just you know to play golf, but without the community, you don't have the club. And um, so my thing's always been on, like you, Greg, learning people's names, knowing all the people's names. Everyone, anyone walks through the place, I know their name. Right. You know, well, if, if I don't, I'll find it out, and then I'll go and talk to them. Um, for us, it's offering a, an experience when people come back and probably an experience they, they've had in the past, but at a higher level. But Richard, one of the pluses too is that when members remember your club, they remember that you called them by name. They'll say, Richard, what a great guy. The manager we currently have at the Beach Club is brilliant that way. And yeah. members have commented on that. So Richard, I bet a nickel when they talk about your club, they might say, oh, Richard greets me when I come in and he remembers my kids' names. I bet a nickel that happens. Yeah. Well, look, I, I've had that from non-members, like friends of members that have come regularly. You know, I'm good with names though. Right. But that's a huge issue. Uh, the fact that you are helps create a relationship. And believe me, Managers keep their jobs longer if people like them. Is that not true? I wrote another article uh, it, it called The Like Factor because 
the second manager we had was zapped because members didn't like him, right? Mm-hmm. It, which is a very interesting thing. And had he asked me anything, I could say, well, here are 15 things you should be doing if you want people to like you. Because people who get liked tend to keep their jobs. And uh, they didn't like him, and he's gone. The gal we've got now, and she's the first woman in 100 years as manager of the club, and she's doing a brilliant job. And when people talk about her, it's the things that you're saying, Richard. She remembers our name. She smiles. She's positive, upbeat. She's got ideas. She's got the buzz. Excellent. <laughs> hey, Greg, we've got one, one final one we're picking on is uh, Simon Andrew down at the Grange. So I think he's the one that's uh, of the ones we can see. Just um, get your thoughts on what's happening down in, down in SA. Yeah, um, we've obviously had quite a few restrictions as well, and they're starting to ease. But um, definitely people miss the club. Obviously, the golf club has been, or the courses has been open the whole time, and that's been great. But um, not going up and <clears throat> having a beer with their mates and um, being able to have lunch or dinner, um, you, you've, like Chris said, they um, don't really realise what they had until it's gone. Um, and I think there's a real kind of urge to... Um, to get back to, to normal so they can enjoy the camaraderie that um, you know, the club provides. So Simon, let me ask you this question. In the States, I don't know how it is there, but if the kids love the club, the parents will love the club and never leave. Is that true in Australia? Yeah, definitely. Kids aren't even part of the, are kids part of the club experience at, at your club? Yeah, hugely. And, and we've probably had a few, uh, quite a few kids that have played golf and as a result their parents who have never played golf before um play to be with their kids and and uh you know have a have a drink or a meal with their family afterwards and um yeah that's a a huge aspect so do you think most clubs in australia uh have tactics they can use to make the kids love them uh it's probably something that a lot of clubs i feel um could improve on, um, and, I, and I think it, it really stems from a, a bit of a culture in the membership. Um, if members of the club um, enjoy or accept kids being there, then um, it's going to be uh, a place where uh, their families and, and the kids um, can enjoy. Because one of the things here in the States, uh, when, when you're looking at trends, and I could go into the trends, but we don't have time, but the number one trend that people are talking about when they're talking about clubs in the States is a family-friendly environment. Because the tactics that the States are using to keep golfers there and people joining and staying is that they're making a larger basket of good services and programs for the entire family. And that's been hugely successful. Those clubs that are doing that well have succeeded. And these are high-end, nationally known golf clubs that have put a focus on the family experience. So uh, I'm always curious if that has caught on elsewhere as well or if it's not part of the culture. Yeah, and, and a, a quick kind of giveaway that I, it's a, it's a cheap childcare, you know, uh, I remember mm-hmm. when I was a kid, mum would drop me off at the club, you know, 7am and pick me up when the, when the uh, sun was going down. So um, it, yeah, it, it's a great way to, to meet new people and, and make friends and learn life skills. And going back to one of the principles that we had, your parents would do that because they knew you were safe at your club, correct? 
Absolutely. Yep. And in this day and age, like Terry said, people are afraid of getting disease. They want to be in a safe place. And the kids are housebound here. Believe me, the kids are going Looney Tunes right now. They want to be active. They want to be out and about. We as clubs need to provide an environment where they can have a safe, healthy experience and to let out some of the crazy energy and juices they have. Right. No, thanks, Greg. I'm prob probably going to cut it right there uh, just for the official proceedings. Thank, thanks, Simon, for your, your feedback. Uh, thanks again to Terry from EPAR for, for support with, with today's Terry, today's thank episode. you. Um, thanks very much, Greg. Yeah, the, the, the learnings I had, I, I was fortunate and maybe unfortunate sometimes, Greg, just uh, being on the road with uh, you and Norm Spitzig <laughs> for, uh, for 10 nights and days and uh, seeing the, the, good and the good and bad of each of us. Uh, uh -huh. I learned so much, so, so much has soaked into my DNA and, and there's so much philosophy, but it's taking that philosophy and bringing it to the, the, that DNA of your club and what's, yeah. what can you take and, and take one little thing and make a, a difference or a little difference every day makes a huge difference, uh, difference over time. Um, yeah, you may not have the resources and all that, but changing that culture, that mindset, and, and just taking a couple little little steps forward with with your team and, and focus on one little area, and that that's how you'll you'll move forward over time. And your members your members will know and stay for, for with you for a long time. And too. one of the things I'd like to say to people, if if anybody wants more of my writings, my anthology yeah. is 900 pages now of published <laughs> articles. Uh, I, I obviously I like to write, but anything I and the reason I love to write now is. I look back on the experience I've had, and I'm really looking for principles. And if other people understand the principles, they can find those tactics. So if anybody wants it, or if anybody ever wants to Zoom with me, it's, it's free. Obviously, I'm not charging for it or anything like that. I'm not trying to hustle business. But sometimes it's good just to have an old geeky guy like me to talk to uh, about a business. Because uh, I've seen a lot of clubs, and I've dealt with a lot of managers, and I've listened to a lot of angry members. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Greg, I, I put your email address in the um, in the chat box there, so anybody can can contact you. As and you're you've always been very available to you know you respond fairly quickly. Uh, you did mention something about PowerPoints, and I don't know if that was a reference to the, the those five documents versus the actual PowerPoint presentation. Well, no, there was a PowerPoint presentation I sent to you, which is uh, again that that should be there plus. Did I not send that to you? I thought no, there was there was six documents. Anyways, I'll I'll grab that off you yeah. after, and I, I can send but it you don't have in our follow up. So I'll, I can get that to everybody. No, no because, problem at all. Because the big thing, if you're looking for tactics, or if you're trying to sell some of these ideas to your members and to your board, it, it's good to have those documents there so you can cross reference. It'd be a plus. Yeah, right. No, I'll, I'll get that out, out to everybody as, as a wrap up. Um, thanks again, everybody, for for your support with uh, with this new initiative from from GIC. Uh, and I love your feedback um, or other topics um, that we can cover in, in future episodes. We'll probably, yeah, most likely get Greg back in the future again. I'm, I'm sure. Um, I think it's, um, yeah. Thanks, Richard. Uh, I just saw. So if you do need to, um, to to get out, I know we're a little bit over time, but that that's as normal as we get get the passion going with with Greg. Thanks for your time, Greg. As always. To everybody, thank you for making my evening, because that's what it is back here. Thanks a lot. Be positive, be creative, and keep the buzz on. Have and a good I'm, one. And I'm happy to anybody that wants to stay on for a few minutes, I'll stop the recording, and then you, we can just have a quick chat with Greg if you like. Um, but everybody else, thank you very much. Stay safe, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see you hopefully sooner than later. Take care. Very good. Well done. Thank you.